Long History, Florida, Texas and Northern Mexico in the 1500s. Top 10 events. Hello everyone, how are you? I hope you're enjoying your day. And here we are again with one of our episodes looking back on one of the documents we've covered. It's a few weeks now since I recorded Florida, Texas and Northern Mexico in the 1500s. So now we're going to look back and take a look at the top 10 events that took place during the document. This serves a few purposes, it can just be an introduction to Cabeza de Vaca's text or a summary of the document if you don't want to listen to every single episode. But actually also the primary reason I started creating these kind of summaries is because I know there's a lot of episodes to go through and perhaps you just want to know where some of the main events are rather than listening to the whole thing. So here I pick out the main events so you can then go back and listen to the full episode. Now I've called this top 10 events, it's just 10 principal events, perhaps would be a less catchy but more accurate title. And these will appear in chronological order. So let's get going. As usual, I hope you enjoy this episode, Long Histories, Florida, Texas and Northern Mexico in the 1500s, Top 10 Events. Now the first thing that takes place, the first thing that stands out is the initial loss of men. Pamphilo de Narvaez is the leader of the expedition, but Cabeza de Vaca is the one writing this text. And he recounts how this set off from southern Spain, but this is what happens in the first place they land in Santo Domingo. Here's the quotation. Here we lost from our fleet more than 140 men who wished to remain, seduced by the advantages and promises offered to them by the people of that country. So before this expedition even really gets going, they lose 140 men of the 600 who initially set off. Perhaps as we get going, I'll just say they left Spain on the 17th of June 1527 in five vessels. But there's an interesting glimpse of life in the 1500s here because lots of these men, it seems, are kind of looking for a new life and the first place they stop, Santo Domingo, they're kind of like, well, this is fine for me. Perhaps they had never had any intention of um, going to Florida and taking part in the expedition. They just wanted to get out of Spain. Who knows? Cabeza de Vaca then moves on to um, Cuba, southern Cuba, a place called Jagua. But there are terrible storms. The quotation being, nothing so terrible as this storm had ever been seen in those parts before. And the result of the um, storm is reflected in the following quotation. 60 persons were lost in the ships and 20 horses, those who had gone on shore the day of our arrival, who may have been as many as 30, were all the survivors of both ships. So that's another 60 people who have been lost, 200 in total before the expedition even begins. So those are the preliminary events that took place in episode 1. The crew move on and they reach Florida finally. There are more storms along the way as we see in episode 2. But this is the moment when Pamphilo de Narvaez takes possession of the country in the following quotation. The next day the governor raised ensigns for your majesty and took possession of the country in your royal name. But things immediately seem to go badly because this is one of the earliest meetings if not the first meeting with the local population. They made many signs and menaces and appeared to say we must go away from the country. So they are immediately not welcome in Florida. And this is the Gulf Coast of Florida. They will eventually make it up to Tampa. I don't think this is Tampa Bay yet. But the first thing that seems to happen in Florida, one of the earliest things, is, is the disagreements between Cabeza de Vaca and um, Pamphilo de Narvaez. The governor wants them to start exploring by land straight away, but Cabeza de Vaca seems to think that they should find some kind of safe harbour before they begin their explorations. And it's clearly an out-and-out -out disagreement in the text. But it's hard to know whether Cabeza de Vaca is writing in retrospect here and he's giving his excuses as to the reasons why certain decisions were made. He's obviously putting all the blame on Pamphilo de Narvaez for the disastrous expedition and making it clear that he would have made different decisions. I think that particular bias is exposed in this quotation I'll give here. I desired rather to expose myself to the danger which he and others had ventured and to pass with him what he and they might go through than to take charge of the ships and give occasion for it to be said I had opposed the invasion and remained behind from timidity, and thus my courage be called in question. 
So Cabeza de Vaca wants to make it quite clear both that he disagreed with Pamphilo de Narvaez and that he wasn't doing this out of cowardice. Pamphilo de Narvaez must have said to him at some point, if you want to go with the boats, go with the boats. And there's kind of a bit of an element of, if you're a scary cat, go with the boats. And this seems to be part of the reason why Cabeza de Vaca insists on not going with the boats. So this out-and-out disagreement takes place in episode 2. And I suppose there's a lot to unpack there, which is what makes it particularly interesting. From kind of a more literary point of view, we see here that the text is very much putting forward Cabeza de Vaca's point of view. And we'll see that again in later episodes, when um, Cabeza de Vaca gives more details about the fate of Pamphilo de Narvaez. But that's episode 2, the arrival in Florida, the lack of welcome, and the initial disagreements between the Spanish men. Now, all the episodes at the beginning are dramatic, but I'm going to jump one now to episode 4. This is when they arrive in northern Florida. It's an area, I don't know how you would describe it, I think it's called Apalachee Bay. It's not quite the panhandle, it's where the kind of peninsula meets the panhandle. They spend 25 days in one particular village, becoming increasingly unwelcome. And then when they move on, they just seem to be very luckless. They are repeatedly attacked by the local people. Cabeza de Vaca splits off from the governor's group to go off and explore, but doesn't find any promising land. And this is where the kind of the disaster begins, really. Cabeza de Vaca's group is repeatedly attacked in the following quotation. They drove their arrows with such effect that they wounded many men and horses, and before we got through the lake, they took our guide. So the local people clearly know the terrain. They wait for Cabeza de Vaca to be in the middle of one of these swampy lakes and then attack them. Giving up on these explorations, Cabeza de Vaca then returns to the governor to find that the men he'd left behind had become sick and that they had also been attacked. This is the quotation. The Indians had assaulted them the night before and because of the malady that had come upon them, they had been pushed to extremity. So it's going bad for now and it's just going to get worse. But those events all take place in episode 4. Moving on to episode 5. This is when the men get on their boats and this is where things seem to really go downhill. Having not found any suitable land, the men take to boats they've made themselves. They pass the Mississippi and this is one of the first descriptions of Mississippian writing, certainly by Europeans. And here Cabeza de Vaca describes that scene. The boats were so crowded that we could not move. So much can necessity do, which drove us to hazard our lives in this manner, running into a turbulent sea, not a single one who went, having a knowledge of our navigation. And there's another quotation showing just how desperate things got on those waters. On this day, we were ourselves many times overwhelmed by the waves, and in such jeopardy that there was not one who did not suppose his death inevitable. So that takes place in episode 5. And in episode 6, I think the mention of the Mississippi is actually in episode 6. But perhaps the most significant event here is the kind of dramatic climax of the Pamphilo de Narvaez story. The governor, Pamphilo de Narvaez, is in one boat with some men, the strongest men. He's selected the strongest men for his own boat. Cabeza de Vaca's in another boat. The two boats meet in the water and Pamphilo de Narvaez asks Cabeza de Vaca what he should do. This is Cabeza de Vaca's reply. I told him we ought to join the boat which went in advance and by no means to leave her. And the three being together, we must keep on our way to where God should be pleased to lead. And Pamphilo de Narvaez gives his reply, which concludes a little later with the following. He answered that it was no longer a time in which one should command another, but that each should do what he thought best to save his own life, that he so intended to act. And saying this, he departed with his boat. So Cabeza de Vaca is scathing about this man, a leader who abandons his men at the most perilous moment. So we can see why earlier Cabeza de Vaca wanted to make it so clear just how much he disagreed with Pamphilo de Narvaez and to stress his own lack of cowardice. 
So that moment of the betrayal by uh, Pamphilo de Narayes takes place in episode 6. And at the end of that episode, episode 6, the men finally reached land in the following quotation. Near the shore a wave took us that knocked the boat out of the water the distance of the throw of a crowbar, and from the violence with which she struck, nearly all the people who were in her like dead were roused to consciousness. Finding themselves near the shore, they began to move on the hands and feet, crawling to land into some ravines. So we can see that this is a desperate situation by now. And we kind of move on to episode 7, where the men make another attempt, if I'm understanding it right from memory, the men make another attempt to go by sea, but it's immediately disastrous and more men are drowned. So it's really becoming dire now. And here's the quotation. The survivors escaped naked as they were born, with the loss of all they had. And although the whole was of little value, at that time it was worth much. And we were then in November. The cold was severe and our bodies were so emaciated the bones might be counted with little difficulty, having become the perfect figures of death. So this is perhaps the lowest point of Cabeza de Vaca's journey, although we'll hear plenty more terrible fates of other men on the expedition later on. This is perhaps Cabeza de Vaca's lowest point. And that takes place in episode 7. So the document exists very much in two parts. The first part, and the most dramatic, where we see the journey around the Gulf Coast and the vast number of deaths that take place. And I've not got exact dates here, but the first part of the document seems to cover about a year, perhaps two years, and the rest of the document covers the other six years of Cabeza de Vaca's time in this area. And although there are events, the second half of the document is much more impressionistic, there are fewer events, he describes the local people, for example, but in doing so there are fewer particular things that stand out. And therefore the next kind of event as such I've called Life with Local People. And really from episodes 8 onwards, all of these episodes are now about life with local people and Cabeza de Vaca's descriptions of his time with them. And it's very hard to summarise them actually because, um, as I'll say in the next episode of um, Long History, one of the surprises about the text is how Cabeza de Vaca doesn't just see these local people as cliches. He acknowledges and understands that there are many different groups at play here, many different languages, many different customs. But one of the events that happens in episode 8 is when he is first forced to be a physician. It takes place in the following quotation. On an island of which I have spoken, they wish to make us physicians without examination or inquiring for diplomas. In the same episode, Cabeza de Vaca also describes his time as a trader in the area. The inhabitants were pleased when they saw me and I had brought them what they wanted and those who did not know me sought and desired my acquaintance for my reputation. So episode 8 there covers two aspects of uh, Cabeza de Vaca's time in um, the Texas area, and we will see later his reputation as a healer just increases and increases. But there's a sense of Cabeza de Vaca, he's lost most of the other men of his expedition, and he's now just scrabbling around, trying to survive. And for examples of that, we can see that in episode 8. And as I say, the document becomes less event-specific after about episode 8. It's more generally about the life that he had in those times. But the next category I've created here as such is called the fate of the expedition members. And this theme runs in parallel with what we learn about Cabeza de Vaca's life with the local people. Because at the same time he also learns about the fate of the people, the other people in the expedition. And in episode 8 we're given specific numbers in the following quotation. After Dorantes and Castillo returned to the island, they brought together the Christians, who were somewhat separated, and found them in all to be 14. So that initial 600 men has now been reduced to 14. And it's quite extraordinary to think about. Now, not all of those men died, but even so it just shows how what a disastrous failure this expedition was. And so we hear about what happened to the expedition members, and some of the um, information we receive is very dire. <laughs> 
For example, in this quotation from episode 9, The living tried the flesh of them that died, and the last that died was Sotomayor, when Esquivel preserved his flesh and, feeding on it, sustained existence until the 1st of March. So in these kinds of Spanish documents, cannibalism is often alluded to, and it's often used as a trope where it's the ultimate thing to be horrified by. Mostly, however, it's used to describe local people and not the Spanish, so it's quite extraordinary here to see a specific example of cannibalism taking place between the Spanish in a contemporary document as well. And it just goes to show how terribly wrong everything went. So in terms of the theme of what happens to the men on the expedition, in episode 9 we hear of the ultimate fate of Pamphilo de Narváez in the following quotation. At midnight, the boat, having only a stone for anchor, the north wind blowing strongly, took her unobserved to sea, and they never knew more of their commander. So ultimately he just drifts out to sea and is never seen of again. I suppose in certain films that would be setting things up for a sequel, but it doesn't seem to be the case here. We never hear of um, Pamphilo de Narváez again. We do hear about the fate of lots of other men, but generally they die in terrible circumstances. It's at this point where the Spaniards very much rely on the generosity or not of the local people. But it's also around this time, episode 9, where the three survivors, along with Cabeza de Vaca, Dorantes, Castillo and Estefanico, become the names that stand out in this text. And these are the ultimate, the four of the men together are the ultimate survivors of this expedition. At least in this document, I presume other men did survive in other ways. So like I say, for this theme of what happened to the uh, men in the expedition, we hear a lot around episodes um, 8, 9 and 10. And as I say, there are fewer specific events later on in the document. This is why we're already on number 9 now. And we leap to episode 15. And this is where Cabeza de Vaca's reputation as a healer really um, begins to solidify. And it's because of one specific event that takes place in this episode, episode 15, where he heals a man who has an arrowhead lodged in his chest. And this is the quotation. Probing the wound, I felt the arrowhead and found it had passed through the cartilage. With a knife I carried, I opened the breast to the place and saw the point was a slant and troublesome to take out. So Cabeza de Vaca takes it out, stitches it up and it is cured. The man doesn't seem to have much of a scar. And this is seen as somehow a miraculous cure done by Cabeza de Vaca. I think he was already um, had a very high reputation as a healer before that, but this really solidified it, and, and this is when he became famous as a healer. This is shown in episode 16, where we've got the following quotation. Frequently we were accompanied by three or four thousand persons, and as we had to breathe upon and sanctify the food and drink for each, and grant permission to do the many things they would come to ask, it may be seen how great was the annoyance. So it gets to the point where Cabeza de Vaca even finds that this um, reputation is gathered to be irritating. And it's around here, episode 16, where Cabeza de Vaca goes over the border, well, today's border, into from the US into Mexico. There's a quotation here which I liked. We passed through many and dissimilar tongues. Our Lord granted us favour with the people who spoke them, for they always understood us and we them. And again, it's just a little detail there showing how Cabeza de Vaca does appreciate the variety of people that exist around that area. There are a number of languages and Cabeza de Vaca seems to have learned... From another quotation, I seem to remember that he says he learned six languages. So those are episodes 15 and 16 where Cabeza de Vaca's reputation as a healer is, are, are very much solidified. And the last event, of course, is the return to um, the Spanish-speaking world. But whereas previously I've covered many voyages of discovery, for example, this is a rather arduous expedition and not a voyage of discovery. And I would say there's no triumphalist ending at all here and the way they come back upon the Spanish-speaking world 
it's quite roundabout. It's some um, of the local people see hints of the Spanish people and report them back to Cabeza de Baca, who is completely overjoyed. But there's a slightly ironic quotation here, I'll give it here. When we saw sure signs of Christians and heard how near we were to them, we gave thanks to the Lord our God for having chosen to bring us out of a captivity so melancholy and wretched. And I say it's ironic because the Spanish in the area seem to be acting very poorly towards the local people. In the meantime, Cabeza de Baca is being worshipped like a god, pretty much literally. So he's talking in terms of freedom from captivity. But at this point, it's really difficult to tell who are the good guys in this story, particularly in the following quotation. Where Cabeza de Vaca finally meets the Spanish and is taken away by the Spanish from the um, local people. And he says, They took us through forests and solitudes to hinder us from intercourse with the natives that we might neither witness nor have knowledge of the act they would commit. It is but an instance of how frequently men are mistaken in their aims. We set about to preserve the liberty of the Indians and thought we had secured it, but the contrary appeared, that the Christians had arranged to go and spring upon those we had sent away in peace and confidence. So when Cabeza de Vaca talks about a captivity so melancholy and wretched, it's hard to know how to interpret this when you see it in the light of the way Cabeza de Vaca is taken away from these people he's lived with for so long and then so that they can be attacked by the Spanish. The end of this document takes place over three or four episodes, perhaps uh, episodes 17 to 20. He sees those first hints of Christians, then meets a group of Christians and then is eventually taken to a town. And that takes place in episode 19. And then in episode 20, we hear about his return to Spain across the sea. I suppose the most noteworthy moment where Cabeza de Vaca seems to think his terrible ordeal has ended is in the following. We arrived at Mexico on Sunday, the day before the Vespers of Santiago, where we were handsomely treated by the Viceroy and the Marquis del Valle, and welcomed with joy. They gave us clothing and proffered whatsoever they had. And that in a way is the ending of the expedition. But there is another episode to go, episode 20, where a few loose ends are tied up and we hear about uh, the fate of um, some people right from the beginning of the journey. But altogether, that's the ending which takes place from between episode 17 and episode 20. So that's it. Like I say, it's very much a document of two halves, but it's an extremely dramatic document. And also very interesting to have a depiction of life in um, the, around the Gulf Coast area, Florida, Texas and northern Mexico during these times. So don't forget to look, go and look back on any episodes that have been of particular interest to you. We've also got top 10 events of Magellan's journey around the world and Columbus's uh, voyage, first voyage across the Atlantic, if you're interested in those. Watch out for our next episode also, which will be 10 surprises that took place during long histories of Florida, Texas and northern Mexico in the 1500s. In those, I like to give a bit more of a subjective analysis of the document and the things that particularly stood out as surprising to me. So if you've made it to this point of the episode, I'm hoping you've liked it. So please do like and subscribe and those types of things. It really helps me. But that's it for now. So thanks for listening. Thank you and goodbye.